Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Schneider. I'm George Roska. And I want to welcome you to today's episode 121 of Say What?, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the false narrative at the very core of sex and gender theory as being taught in the public schools. Just what is that narrative? Well, it's essentially this that the public school's support of a child's non-biological gender identity is at at its core a, quote, safety issue. In fact, as we learned last week from the Santa Ana Unified School District's board policy statement regarding transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming students, this is a quote, the governing board is committed to the safety needs of its students to promote their safety mental, and emotional well-being. Well, this standard language, as it turns out, is used to justify a litany of harms in the public school system. Parental secrecy policies that are sweeping the nation and that deliberately keep parents in the dark about their kids' gender identity. Making parents legally guilty of child abuse if they refuse to affirm their child's non-biological gender identity. Like AB 957, which is currently before the California legislature and would require that a parent affirm their child's gender identity as part of the, quote, health, safety, and welfare of that child. The safety narrative is used to justify legislation that empowers states to strip parents of custody rights, again, like California's SB 107, which was made law in 2022, which made California a gender-affirming care sanctuary state for children escaping their parents' authority. Or like AB 665, currently before the legislature, which will empower the state to take children away from their parents and put them in transgender group homes. Well, this same, quote, safety, health, and well-being narrative is used to justify schools brokering life-changing medical interventions with third-party medical providers to administer puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even body mutilation surgery without a parent's knowledge or consent. Like AB 1184, which was passed in 2021, again in California, which forced insurance companies to hide gender-affirming care medical services performed on minor children from their parents. In fact, the first time parents find out about it is when the bill shows up in the mail. All this and more is done in the name of promoting the health, safety, and well-being of children who are gender nonconforming. Sex and gender theory curriculum providers likewise warn of dire consequences for the health and well-being of gender nonconforming kids if their materials are not embraced as gospel. So 
all this begs the question, are these policies working? Are they having the desired effect? What is the evidence that children are actually benefiting from these policies? Well, it turns out the number of studies and professional voices piling up to challenge the narrative have recently made headlines. And I want to highlight a couple of articles today that point out the discrepancy in the message that's being touted and the facts uh, of what is really happening. This first article was published in the Wall Street Journal last Thursday, June 29th, is an, and entitled The Endocrine Society's Dangerous Transgender Politicization. Members we spoke to take exception to the group's guidelines on gender affirming care. And it was written by uh, an endocrinologist, Dr. Roy Eppen, and a researcher, Ian Kingsbury. And I'm going to read from the article. A federal court last week struck down an Arkansas law banning the provision of sex change procedures, off-label puberty blockers, opposite-sex hormones, and surgery to minors. In the June 20th ruling, Judge James M. Moody Jr. repeatedly cited the Endocrine Society, which is the professional organization of physicians who specialize in hormones. He wrote that the society has published widely accepted clinical practice guidelines for the treatment of gender dysphoria that were developed by experts in the field and are recognized as best practices. In truth, over the past decade, transgender activists have co-opted the Endocrine Society and other professional organizations to promote such treatments for adolescents and even young children. Their guidelines are based on flimsy evidence, giving the appearance that invasive and irreversible treatments are beneficial for young patients, despite a growing body of evidence to the contrary. The guidelines have been used by lawmakers in states such as California and New York to endanger children, and now by judges to block state efforts at protecting youngsters. A few days before Judge Moody's ruling, we, the authors of the article, attended the annual meeting of the Endocrine Society, of which one of us, Dr. Eppen, happens to be a member. And we found that endocrinologists are aware of the society's failings and actually rue its elevation of transgender activism over medical expertise and actual patient needs. The Endocrine Society endorsed medical transition for young people in 2017. It published the clinical practice guidelines for the treatment of gender dysphoric, gender incongruent persons that Judge Moody cited. Well, at the time, there was little good research on this issue. And the Endocrine Society admitted that the guidelines were largely based on evidence of low or very low quality. The society nonetheless recommended that some children receive a hormone regimen that will suppress the body's sex hormone secretion determined at birth and manifested at puberty. Well, at this year's meeting, we had frank and fruitful discussions with endocrinologists who provide hormonal treatments to kids with gender dysphoria, as well as some who don't, and without exception, 
They acknowledge that the society's evidence base for pediatric gender uh, transition is weak at best. Yet while they're aware of the guidelines' shortcomings, they're afraid to voice their concerns. The society's full-throated endorsement of gender-affirming care implied condemnation of anyone who holds differing views. Medical professionals are being cowed into silence and coerced into providing treatments they in fact know are dangerous to children. Perhaps the most telling interactions were with European endocrinologists who were there to discuss the latest research and treatments in the specialty. Those we spoke to expressed surprise that the U.S. has not banned or at least severely restricted such treatments for adolescents and children. England, Sweden, and Finland have all taken this path, and Norway is likely to follow. Belgium, France, Ireland, and Italy are also now raising concerns. These countries are allowing the science, which allows that the claimed benefits of hormonal intervention for young people fail to outweigh the risk. Even more disturbing, endocrinologists of all sides of this debate told us that practitioners are not complying with the precautions set forth in the society's own guidelines. In fact, despite the document's call for careful mental health screening and its acknowledgement that most cases of childhood gender dysphoria naturally resolve during puberty, endocrinologists recognize that some of their peers are rushing young patients to irreversible hormonal treatments. Every endocrinologist we spoke with supports doing more to ensure that these guardrails are enforced and many in favor erecting new ones. Judge Moody's ruling cites the Endocrine Society's guidelines in a lengthy section titled Findings of Fact, which is essentially a recitation of transgender ideology. A trial judge's findings of fact are all but unreviewable on appeal by allowing ideologues to hijack their organization. Endocrinologists are making themselves complicit in a scientifically baseless movement that inflicts serious harm on children's physical and mental health. And yet the indoctrination and brainwashing in our public schools goes on without parental objection, despite these facts. And once again, the narrative that we hear over and over and over again that is being advanced to rationalize this gender-affirming care treatment and the whole sex and gender theory um, premise is based on the safety, well-being, and health of the students. Well, there's another article that was recently published um, on June the 28th, in a piece um, that was written in the Daily Wire, citing a new Danish landmark study which finds that the suicide rates and psychiatric conditions are actually, in fact, much higher among trans-identifying people. Trans-identifying people in Denmark, in fact, had a suicide rate three and a half times higher and a suicide attempted rate Seven and a half, seven point seven times higher 
than people who did not identify as transgender, according to the study, which was published Tuesday in the Journal of the American Medical Association. This is not a study that you're probably going to hear touted on CNN, MSNBC, or NBC. But there were 92 suicide attempts and 12 suicide deaths among the study's 3,759 trans-identifying people between 1980 and 2021. The study analyzed the medical and legal gender change records of nearly 7 million people in Denmark including the nearly 3,800 transgender people over the last 40 years. That's four decades. Trans-identifying people also tended to die younger overall, whether by suicide or something else, the study find. However, the suicide rates in both groups decreased over the four decades that the study examined, fortunately. Results suggest that transgender individuals had significantly higher rates of suicide attempt, suicide mortality, suicide unrelated mortality, and all-cause mortality compared with the non-transgender population, the study cited. Meanwhile, the rate of psychiatric conditions was higher for the trans-identifying group. Nearly 43% of trans-identifying people had a psychiatric diagnosis compared with just 7% of the non-trans-identifying group. Quote, this is beyond doubt a huge problem that needs to be looked at, said one of the authors of the study, Dr. Morton Frisch, a sexual health epidemiologist at Stanton's Serum Institute in Copenhagen. The study's authors suggested that their findings might possibly apply to the U.S. as well, since the U.S. and Denmark have similar suicide rates, about 14 suicides per 100,000 people. However, the rate of people who identify as transgender could be as much as 10 times higher in the U.S. than in Denmark, data from the Williams Institute at the University of California in Los Angeles suggest. Although the Danish researchers also noted that they may not have captured newer waves of trans identification that are more prevalent among younger populations. Gender ideology activists in the U.S. often argue that trans-identifying people, especially youth, are at higher risk of suicide if they are denied drastic medical interventions, such as puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, or gender surgeries, such as double mastectomies, and even later genital surgeries. However, Denmark is famously progressive on the transgender issue and rates as one of the most LGBT-friendly countries in the world, even above the United States. The group of Danish trans-identifying people analyzed in the study were recognized as transgender in either their legal or medical records. In 1989, Denmark became the first country in the world to legally recognize same-sex partnerships. Denmark has allowed people to undergo sex change operations 
and receive hormone therapy since at least the 1950s. Since 2014, Danish people 18 and older can legally change their gender simply by stating that they want to do so. In the United States, critics have sounded the alarm about the permanent effects of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and gender surgeries. Young people who were previously uh, identified as transgender have also spoken out about regretting getting medical intervention. At least 17 states have moved to restrict hormone treatments and gender surgeries for children as more minors seek them out. Meanwhile, it is more popular than ever for youth to adopt new gender identities. An estimated 300,000 minors aged 13 to 17 identified as transgender as of last year, a sharp increase over the previous few years. From 2017 to 2021, gender dysphoria diagnosis in children nearly tripled. And so ends the article as related in the Daily Signal. But this narrative that all of these things need to be done for the health, well-being, and safety of children is the one that's continued to be propounded in our public schools today starting in kindergarten. In fact, uh, if you listen to the prior two episodes, we had an interview with um, school teacher and past board member Brenda Lebsack, where we uh, investigated a, a policy statement put, put out by the Santa Ana Unified School District endorsing the same narrative that these um, uh, sex and gender theory has to be promoted in the school system that the personal pronouns of children who identify as a nonconforming gender identity has to be acknowledged and respected because if we if we don't do so it's going to affect the safety and well-being of those those children but as we've stated on today's program and past programs this narrative is completely false uh studies from countries in uh, western europe and now even the united states are showing over and over again that prolongation of these medical interventions and indoctrination in the public schools is not creating uh, enhanced well-being of our children. It's creating more and more problems with their mental health, leading to increased suicide risk. We actually have the narrative completely backward. That's why we at Protecto Kids uh, keep pounding this message that parents have to become more knowledgeable about what's going on in the public school. Get involved with your children's lives. Seek out and read the evidence for yourself. Don't trust our word for it. Review these articles. Um, You can review our past programs on our Say What podcast. Uh, Please go to our website, Protect Our Kids Now. Um, where we have uh, a new page that, that we call Medical Research, where you can discover this research for yourself. Learn the facts for yourself. And please, parents, take steps to protect your children. It's not only your children's welfare that is at stake. It's our future, future as a country and as a nation that's at stake. Because as Lincoln warned, The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will become the philosophy of the government in the next. 
So it's no a surprise that we're seeing uh, uh, our corporations change, our governments change, the entire country changing uh, to advance an ideology that was utterly foreign to past generations of Americans. And unless something changes and changes quite dramatically in the next few years, this narrative, this false narrative is going to continue to gain traction with more and more dire consequences for all of us. We want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. Um, We invite you to please go onto our website at protectourkidsnow.org where you can find a lot of information. In fact, our podcasts are are on there as well, but we have a lot of videos that you can share, uh, brochures that you can download and also share. Uh, We also have a speaker button where if you'd like Mark and I to come out to your group, to your local church, uh, to come and speak, we will um, be more than happy to do that. Uh, We also have a donate button. You can become part of our Guardian Angel program, uh, where by by donating to protect our kids, you can help further our mission to inform and educate parents uh, about the dangers to their children in the public school system. There's also a very important brochure on how to start an alternative school, uh, either in your home or at your church, uh, that could be in the form of homeschooling or private schooling. It's a very easy 20-page booklet um, that we would hope you would share also with your church leadership teams, and they can figure out what they can be doing as, as a church to help protect the kids within their community. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening and watching us, uh, either on Spotify, Apple iTunes, or now more recently on YouTube. But please visit our website, and please continue to get the word out about these valuable broadcasts, our, our Say What podcast. Until next time on Say What. We'll see you then.